This is The Beat, the innovation podcast for the nation's capital, talking the latest tech, business, and startup news. And beer. With the DCNO team. I'm Sam. I'm Ryan. Let's get started. Welcome back to The Beat Podcast. We are here again for another great week, another great guest. Looking forward to it. Just a reminder before we get started, if you want more of The Beat, make sure to sign up for our daily newsletter by going to dcinno.com and signing up on our homepage. What are we talking about this week, Sam? Yeah, this week on The Beat, we're talking about what millennials love about D.C. and why they still might leave anyway, (laughs) Uh, the companies battling it out on this year's tech madness bracket, and why Airbnb is currently negotiating, fighting, however you want to describe it, with the D.C. government with Airbnb's Mid-Atlantic Public Policy Director, Will Burns. Looking forward to that. But first, let's have a beer. Uh, This (laughs) week, I am drinking the uh, Vienna Lager Devil's Backbone, uh, local brewery out in Virginia. This is a, you'll, you'll find these all over the place. Yeah. It's a pretty solid beer, pretty standard beer. Um, nothing nothing too special, but uh, by no means bad. You're, you're crushing some water over there. Yeah, I'm having a great time. We had a lot of fun at Tech Madness last night. We're, um, we're, we're recovering still. Uh, I got back on the horse just for the sake of journalism and, and for you, nope. the listeners, but uh, Sam is Sam's still recovering. So. Oh my god, yeah. Um, let's let's get right into it. Making moves this week, we had an interesting report come out from American University about uh, it, it's actually called the Greater Washington Millennial Index. And first note on this, I love that when they sent us the press release for this, they <laughs> promised access at the announcement event to quote millennials, real live millennials. Oh you wow! Could, you could go talk to them at the. They're uh, so hard to find. I know they're 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 rare. <laughs> I, we didn't we didn't get a, an offer to be one of the expert millennials. No, we did not. Which is tough. But anyway, they, they released this survey, which is, and you know, off the bat, it looks like good news for D.C. It says right. that based on a number of factors, D.C. is the second best city for millennials to live in at the moment. Yep. So they cited one, you know, average salaries that were 40% above the national average, um, you know, it's it's a well-off, educated um, place and, you know, the, a relatively low unemployment rate. Yep. But then when you kind of dig into the report and look at it a little more, looks not so great maybe right. in, the, in the coming years. Right. So, I mean, in the report it says that about 10% of the millennials surveyed, only 10% of them would opt to stay in D.C. and they say they love it and they would stay here forever, which means that a good 90% of them plan on leaving. They're kind of like iffy about D.C. and that's for a number of factors. So one, cost of living. The rent is so high. Yeah. And you also have something that was also really interesting in there is are the commuting stats. So, um, I mean, of those surveyed in the D.C. area, so you have to include the Virginia suburbs and Maryland. Which um, I, I would like to know how far out they went yeah. just because of these numbers that you're about to yeah, get. Yeah, yeah, That is a good question that I do not have the answer for. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so the report also says that 60% of millennials drive alone to work still. That seems um, way too It high. seems really high. I don't um, know anyone that drives to work. Like, consistently, no. no. Yeah. Um, it's probably people who probably live in Virginia or Maryland or right. So that's why that's why I'm curious about how far out this exactly exactly. Um, But yeah, driving alone too, like no one's even carpooling, right? Which is is odd. Um, and yeah, sixty percent just seems so high to me. Yep. Um, Um, and then yeah, the other crazy thing was was nearly sixty percent, fifty seven percent, said that they would commute using the metro, but 
quote, do not because it's unreliable, time-consuming, or expensive. Which is... They're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, like, to be honest, since Safe Track started, like, I, I've stopped taking the Metro. I take yeah. the bus now. And it's just... If if Wamana can't figure it out, like, this is this is legitimately going to be a huge challenge for the region attracting and retaining yeah. new people or people who already live here if they don't feel like they can get to their jobs, get around um, in a way that, that's reliable. Yeah. And then I think, you know, the point around around housing costs, too, that's obviously something that people are very concerned about. We'll talk a little later with our, our guests about um, some of the challenges that, that the city council thinks that they're seeing around affordable housing. It's expensive to live here. I mean, I guess that's kind of the paradox of being a, a great place to live is that there's, yeah. there's that demand um, that will always keep driving up. But you, you got to wonder about, I mean, 10% like are absolutely yeah. certain that they want to stay. But, like, that's crazy. Yeah, it is. It's crazy low. And then even when you factor in the like point that, you know, millennials are still pretty young, they're probably still anxious to see other places like not be tied down to dc right now but it's still ridiculously low even when you factor that in like wow only 10 percent um yeah i don't it's so crazy <laughs> so we'll guess we'll see what happens yeah. um but uh, anyway it looks good now for yeah. millennials yeah. Uh, which is obviously good for the city as well mm-hmm. but yeah we'll, we'll keep an eye on that big one this week we've got Tech Madness. Uh, we we kicked off the event last night. Uh, this is for the uninitiated. Our annual startup bracket challenge, modeled after March Madness, where we pick sixty four local companies. We put them in a bracket. We seed them, you know, one to sixteen, and then we let our readers vote. Yeah. So we we put the bracket up, um, you know, after the event. Um, but we, we got the chance to go through both at the event and afterwards and kind of look through this bracket. Um, so who are you, who are you, some of your favorites here? What are you looking at? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it's, it's really intimidating to look at this giant list of 64 and have to try to pick out these matchups. Yeah, exactly. One of the companies that stands out to me is Exometry. Um, they raised $7 million at the beginning of February, but they're kind of dubbed the like Amazon for manufacturing. So the idea is that um, they're focused purely on manufacturing. Um, they help smaller manufacturers kind of um, do their business and get their stuff out, um, looking at data for prices and um, like supply chain, anything like that. And then another one is also Upscale, uh, formerly APX Labs. Um, it's Apex. Apex? I think so. Or is was. it really? Like it, with no vowels? I think it was pronounced Apex. Oh my god. But there's no E in it. I miss vowels. Um, <laughs> Bring vowels, vowels I back. I would like vowels back. Um, Looking at you, tracks. T R A C X. Right. right. Um, but upskill. So um, I talked to them a few weeks ago and kind of got the lowdown on their tech. It's really interesting. They're basically providing the software for like. Google Glasses or any other sort of wearable glass. Um, And they also focus more in manufacturing and kind of the idea through their software, they make it really easy for people who are maybe working in a factory to kind of look up what what exactly they should be doing through the videos on their glasses. Right. It's like the the actual real-life implementation of of wearable glasses that was kind of a flop on the consumer side. But this enterprise 
idea of having people who are working with their hands being able to see, you know, real-time stats or uh, monitor or um, a video, like you said, of of what they should be doing in their face while they're doing the work. Um, That's how I think could actually be a a useful implementation of of wearable tech. Exactly. Um, There are a couple really interesting matchups in this first round, uh, mostly in like the, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten range because yeah, yeah. we're looking at companies across a bunch of different um, industries, a bunch of different mm-hmm. markets. And when I was looking at the bracket, I was trying to think about, okay, five, ten years down the road, um, what's the growth of the of the market that right. each of these companies is in? So like one interesting matchup I'm seeing is Avizia, which is a, a telehealth company, which basically will allow you to video chat with your doctor. Um and and even within hospitals, yeah. so it it manages doctors' times efficiently. Um, it it cuts down on healthcare costs. Um, obviously, some huge strides to be made in that market. They're matched up against Urgently, which is the roadside assistance startup yeah. that just inked a big deal with Mercedes Benz. So, I, you know, one thing I was thinking about there is if if Urgently is going more f- from a consumer facing triple a side to these partner type things maybe when we start having literal fleets of self-driving cars Mm -hmm. like there's a potential for urgently there to be a provider yeah um so you're you're talking about these growth over these several years i had zoom data going all the way okay bracket so zoom data is this company in uh virginia that has they do data analytics and and most importantly visualization so their whole concept is, you know, synthesizing big data isn't helpful unless you can get the the real results across clearly right. to someone. Um, they raked in twenty five million in investment from Goldman Sachs last year or two years ago. They got an undisclosed investment from Incutel, which is the uh, venture arm of the CIA. Yeah. So there's clearly you know some pretty important people that see the value in this technology. Yeah. And I think that you know as big data becomes more and more of a commonly used tool, that's clearly they've shown their their potential there and have some pretty um, impressive clients on board already. So yeah. they're they're a four seed and uh, yeah, I'm picking them picking them okay. to win. Okay. Well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> guest on the podcast today is Will Burns. He is Airbnb's Mid-Atlantic Public Policy Director. Will, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Uh, so we were talking a little bit before we started recording about what Mid-Atlantic covers, and you're, you're kind of all over the map, actually. We are all over the map. The, the Mid-Atlantic pod is really a sort of combination of a, a group out of Chicago and then a group that was functioning here in the Mid-Atlantic region. So it covers, uh, we cover D.C., Maryland, Virginia, obviously. Um, we're doing some public policy work in Georgia and Alabama, along with Boston and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, Chicago, and Detroit. Boston, Massachusetts, my home state. <laughs> there you go. Where would you grow up? Uh, Andover, Mass, okay. north of Boston. Okay. Public policy director, I, I imagine, is a kind of wide-reaching role uh, nowadays with the regulatory fights and, and uh, you know compromises that are going on at all levels of government. Um, and I think you know, when people think about public policy in D.C., it's often an association with federal policy. Um, but what we've really seen with the sharing economy emerging over the last couple of years is, is a shift towards the state and local regulatory, um, you know, I don't 
you know, go to the word of battle, but, uh, you know, it's, it's gone to that level um, where that's much more important for the growth of a company like Airbnb. So how has that shift um, played out, you know, from your perspective and, and how do you kind of manage dozens and hundreds of, of um, you know, policy proposals on all different levels of state and local government? Well, it's a, it's a great question. Um, we, we really have to pick and choose where we get involved and engaged. Um, obviously, there are markets that are really important to the company given um, the, the number of hosts that we may have or uh, the amount of revenue that they're generating or the economic impact they may have. Or um, it may be also um, sort of symbolically important to be engaged. You know, we, we're very excited about our work in Detroit, for example, where Detroit is one of 12 global cities that was part of the first wave of Airbnb experiences. So experiences is a way to add to the authenticity of a travel experience by, you know, picking someone to go to some local restaurants with or learning how to throw pottery or how to surf or and including Detroit in that was really important to us to show that we support the revitalization of a great American city. Um, and we see Airbnb as part of um, the re-economic development and the, the renaissance of that city. So you guys uh, introduced this experiences feature uh, a couple of months ago. How do you source material for that? Is it you know, totally relying on hosts. How do you pick them and and there's a whole team. There's a whole sort of Airbnb experiences team, and they go out and recruit people and vet them and make sure that they're abiding with uh, state and local laws, uh, so that they can provide the experience and that you know it's in compliance. And so they, they do all of that, and it's it's a great feature um, and in addition to what we're already providing. Uh, so looking a little closer to home, uh, we. You kind of have some numbers um, from your your summary of last year. Um, Fourteen point five million in revenue since um, Airbnb started operating in the district. I think uh, you know we're looking at uh, two hundred nine million dollars of economic activity just in in DC um, because of people visiting via Airbnb. First of all, how do you measure these that that kind of economic impact on a city or a market um, and and then how do you use that to your advantage when you're looking at, at public policy decisions? Well, I think that the first statistic is really important, which is that um, we've had an agreement with the District of Columbia to collect and remit uh, the transit occupancy tax on behalf of our host community. Uh, so that's $14.5 million in tax revenue that we've provided to the district on behalf of our hosts. So one, our hosts don't have a tax liability with the district. Two, we're being good citizens. Um, and I think that that's really important to point out. We have a really robust... Um, research and sort of economic uh, econometric group that measures our economic impact um, but we do surveys of our guests and hosts and what they're what they're doing and you know the thing that's important is that Airbnb hosts are typically in neighborhoods that don't have hotels um, and so whether that's east of the river here in the District of Columbia or on the south side of Chicago um, what we're seeing is a Airbnb linking tourist dollars to communities that have been trying to get tourists to visit them and to spend money there to support their local business uh, sectors and, and commercial um, nodes um, with, without success. And Airbnb has really helped to sort of bridge that gap. Um, and that that doesn't account for, you know, maybe additional income tax that people would pay, right, on, no. on earnings off of Airbnb? It does not. It, this is just uh, strictly the hotel tax that, you know, Marriott or Hilton would be paying. Sure. Pay on um, how, how do hosts pay taxes? Is it 1099 or are they contractors or? How well, they, so they are, they are, they are independent operators. Yep. We don't set the price. Right. The, our hosts determine how much they're going to charge someone to stay 
um, at their house. Uh, my mom was an Airbnb host. She was a super host in Ohio. Uh, she's moving to Florida, but so she's not doing it right now. But um, she was a super host, and she would set her price and uh, set her cleaning fee, and um, and then she would t- she would get a ten ninety nine for right. her earnings, and then she'd pay the income tax on those. Earnings. Got it. So, but yeah. we would pay the hotel tax. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, you know, recently there was this bill introduced by uh, Kenyon McDuffie, uh, city councilor from Ward Five, um, that you know, in the release, I think he was kind of citing the need or the he was almost blaming Airbnb for, um, you know, the rents in D.C. being so high. And there's you know, there's a kind of silly quote, I thought, in the release that said it didn't happen by accident that D.C. has the highest rents in the country, which I would agree that that is a true statement, but I would agree it's because we're growing by, like, you know, 100,000 people over the last 15 years and have added a ton of new residents to the district. I I, I think it's a stretch to blame it on, on Airbnb, but... Um, he's kind of advocating for this new idea of a short-term rental license um, where every Airbnb host or short-term rental host would have to get a basic business license. Um, it would have to be you know, given to to you guys, put on the platform, um, and there's a potential penalty for, for people who didn't have that. Um, you know, I know you guys are, are not quite in favor of this bill, but where do you see the, the um, line on, you know, enough regulation, too much regulation, what would you advocate for out of this bill and what would you say is going too far? Um, so let me let me sort of back up sure. um, a little bit. In 2015, the company released what we call the Community Compact, which expressed our strong support for common sense regulations and also our interest and desire to pay taxes. Um, and since then, we have embarked. We've been working on paying taxes in Massachusetts, for example, for the last two years. Um, I think that Councilor McDuffie, you know, has a track record of working on affordable housing issues and making sure that folks who have lived in the district for a long time have the ability to continue to do so. We see ourselves as part of that solution. Um, you know, some of our fastest growing group of hosts in across the country are women over the age of 60 who are using Airbnb revenue to be able to stay in their homes and to supplement their fixed incomes. Um, we see short-term rentals as part of a solution to affordable housing by making the city more affordable for longtime residents and to support a lot of small businesses in places like Ward 5 uh, in East of the River uh, get more revenue. Um, so having said that, you know, I think that the bill misses the mark uh, on a couple of fronts. One, there, there aren't any data that show that Airbnb and short-term rentals is what's driving the affordable housing crisis in Washington, D.C. Looking at our own data, if you look at entire home units that have been rented for more than 180 days a year on our platform, the, the number of those units is 498. Okay, There are 303,000 units of housing in the District of Columbia. That equates to 0.16% of the total number of housing units in the district. So if you're saying that 498 entire home unit rentals is what's driving the affordable housing crisis in D.C., I, I, I just don't think that the data add up. Um, having said that, I think that there should be a very easy process for people like my 71-year-old mom who want to rent out an extra room or rent out her house to be registered with the District of Columbia uh, and, and to be able to do that. I think that there should be a presumption to allow people to use their private property within you know, the limits of their homeowners association uh, or within the limits of their lease to be able to rent out their homes. Um, 
And I think that there should be, you know, uh, all the applicable ordinances and bills around or laws around nuisances and, you know, being a good neighbor applying to the host. And if people aren't being good neighbors and they're doing parties and all this, they should be fined and they should be punished as the law currently allows. But I think by creating all these hoops and hurdles for people to jump through, uh, when so few people are actually doing this, uh, you know, it's sort of like using a, 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 it's, it's just an inappropriate tool. Uh, I have never tried to get a bot, a basic business license from the District of Columbia, so I, I'm not sure what that process looks like. Have you guys looked into what the cost of that is or what the, you know, how difficult or easy that is? Well, so there, there are two issues. One is that um, it's not just getting the license. It's the sort of preclearance steps that you have to go through before you get the license in the first instance. So it's not a matter of simply going down to the Wilson building and filling out a piece of paper with your name and contact information and maybe a $50 check for the registration fee. There's a, a whole set of things that the, the bill calls for the district to check on before you're allowed to do short-term rentals in the first instance. And it penalizes companies who allow people to list on their platforms who have not gone through the appropriate state steps with the District of Columbia. But how are we supposed to know if a person tells us they've done it, it's our, we, we accept it on faith. Sure. I mean, and so why are you trying to punish us for, so it's just, a, it, to me, the bill is designed to make it extremely difficult for anyone to be able to rent out their home in the District of Columbia. Um, and then it has this 15-day limit on entire home unit rentals, right. which especially in D.C. doesn't make sense, given the number of people who work for NGOs, for the State Department, for the Defense Department, who are traveling and who are not at home and are make, want to make sure their property is being taken care of. Or even, I mean, I know friends who travel for you know, four days out of the week on consulting jobs where they leave Monday and come back Thursday. And if, if they're doing that every week, you know, why would you put a cap on 15 if you're gone for two or three days here and there? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so have you, have you worked with Councilmember McDuffie's office at all on this? Have you been in contact or, or tried to propose uh, different legislation? We, we've had a, a, um, a couple of conversations, and I think that, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, um, you know, I think that he has, a, he has a, he's a council member with a great deal of integrity, and he, I think he's trying to solve some problems. And I think that we want to be a part of, of solving them as well. Uh, and so I'm hopeful that there's a space where we can have a meeting of the minds. So we're going to provide uh, Councillor McDuffie and his staff, along with Council uh, Chairman Mendelson, our sort of markup of what we think regulation should look like in the District of Columbia, and then we'll begin the negotiating process. Um, but, you know, we're, we, we're eager to support our 6,000 hosts who are using this platform to earn, you know, $5,500 a year in extra income uh, to support themselves. When you go into a, a market and advocate on legislation like this, what do you find typically is most effective when you approach a, a council member or a state representative? Is it, you know, is it, you know, uh, figures from the economic data? Is it uh, firsthand accounts of a host in their district? What what really gets through to them? I think um, for me, um, I think it's been really helpful having been an elected official myself and understanding the pressure that elected officials face, whether that's at the local level or as a state representative, right? So, you know, generally speaking, there there are interest groups, maybe it's the hotel association, maybe it's the hotel workers union, maybe it's a group of neighbors who are upset about a particular incident 
that prompt um, public uh, public officials, policymakers to get involved in the issue. And what's most important for us is that we provide a solution to what's gotten them engaged in the issue in the first instance. And I think, you know, there are other companies in the sort of um, sharing economy space that don't have a similar sort of collaborative attitude. I mean, because my thing is, look, I'm not trying to make a policymaker an enemy. I don't need a council member or a state representative every session dropping a bill that would put Airbnb out of business. What I want to do is help solve the problem that they're concerned about. Um, and I think and a lot of times th- there's a there's a uh, commonality between us and them. We're concerned about people who are buying up entire apartment buildings and turning all the units into short-term rentals. The question is, how do we deal with that? You know, but you don't deal you don't deal with that issue by putting my mom out of business. That's that's not how you solve it. We have a lot of solutions to problems, and we try to offer ones that allow the policymakers to say, "I've dealt with this issue," while also allowing people to to be able to share their homes. Um, in the D.C. area, more generally, there you've kind of played out this this regulatory. Um, you know, tango in, in a bunch of different jurisdictions. And Ar- I think Arlington County was one of the first to pass, um, you know, specific home sharing regulations. So how involved were you with that? And, you know, how do you feel about the outcome of that? Well, it's interesting. The The original um, ordinance as it was advertised was very, very restrictive. Um, and there were a number of components in the, the, the original ordinance that we had strong concerns about. So we got involved relatively late in the sort of public policy debate, right? So there was an Arlington County Plan Commission meeting. And, you know, our best ambassadors are not people like me, right? Like, I mean, you know, I'm like, like, who cares, right? But it's it's our hosts who live in the community and are paying taxes, who are part of the, you know, Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts on the block club. They're, they're engaged in the community. And when they show up to a public meeting where normally people don't show up, that has a huge impact on policymakers. So we had about 50 of our hosts show up to an Arlington County Plan Commission meeting and share their concerns about the proposed ordinance. And the Arlington County Plan Commission, to their credit, listened to our host community and made recommendations to amend the ordinance um, to the uh, county board. And that was really, really helpful in terms of sort of changing the direction of the ordinance. And we came to a meeting of the minds with Arlington County and, and a model, we think, of a pretty decent uh, bill at the end of the day. Um, you, I think the numbers you said from last year were about 287,000 guests in Washington, D.C. Uh, is, is that D.C. or the market? Do you know? Um, I, I believe that number is just, is just for the District of Columbia. Just D.C.? Um, and, and I think what's important about that is that people choose Airbnb because, you know, it's expensive to stay in hotels in sure. the District of Columbia. Um, people are looking for an authentic experience. They want to be in a neighborhood. They want to know where locals are going, what's the cool, hip place to have coffee or a drink. Or um, And I think that we offer a different experience than the hotels do. And given the amount of hotel construction in the D.C. metro area and their occupancy rates and the amount they're able to charge, um, there's plenty of room for both of us in this market. Um, obviously, we have some huge hotels headquartered locally um, with Hilton and Marriott. Uh, I'm sure that the, they probably feel a little threatened by Airbnb. So how have you seen the hotel response uh, in, in you know, response to the, the 
quick growth of Airbnb in this market. Well, the Hotel Association in D.C. has supported the McDuffie Bill. Uh, in Maryland, uh, the Hotel Association introduced a bill that um, is would re- literally put us out of business in, in, in the state of Maryland and was designed to do such. Uh, there was a similar bill introduced in Virginia that didn't get out of committee. Um, so they have been active in sort of putting down their markers about limiting our growth in the future. I think that's their concern is where Airbnb is headed down the road and, and trying to, to stop the company. I think in many, for many instances, they didn't pay attention to us until our growth became a factor that they felt that they had to pay attention to. Although it's interesting, in a number of sort of public utterances, the leaders of these corporate hotel chains have said that they don't see Airbnb as a threat. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of just... Publicly not a threat. Privately, maybe. <laughs> Privately, maybe. Exactly. Um, you know, do you do you live in D.C. or do you live where do you live? I, I live in the District of Columbia. Uh, don't I don't hold it against me. I live in the Navy Yard because uh, I was I was I had to move pretty quickly here and wanted an apartment and get set up relatively. Have you ever Airbnb'd your apartment? It is against my lease to do so. Mm. And so I think it would be really bad if the D.C. public policy <laughs> manager got busted by his landlord for violating the lease. Uh, so I have not done it, but um, I'm looking to buy in the D.C. area and you know would like to have a house where I could have a space that I could put up on the platform. What is the best Airbnb you've stayed in? The best Airbnb i you know, it's funny. Um, I think I would have to say it was the first one I ever stayed in. Um, so I, I flew out to San Francisco for an interview. If you've ever flown out of O'Hare, all the flights are always delayed. You like, never leave when you think you should leave. And so my flight was delayed for like three hours. And then there's like that time change. And so I land in San Francisco. It's like 10 o'clock San Francisco time, but it's like 1 o'clock in the morning to my body or midnight or whatever. And the... This uh, older woman had waited for me to get to the to her house. Um, she let me in. She was like, hey, I'm watching something on PBS. If you want to hang out in the living room and watch TV with me, you can. Or if you just want to, like, go and chill, uh, feel free to do that. And I was like, I'm going to go and chill. And then the next morning, we talked about a book she had out on her living room table. And it was a history of the Soviet Union. And we started talking about Soviet history and politics. And she had spent 30 years traveling back and forth to Moscow. And it was just, like, really cool. I would have never met this person if it hadn't been for Airbnb. And I was getting ready to go interview uh, with the company. And I just thought that was a really cool experience. It really helped me understand why people want to host, why people want to be guests. And how Airbnb really helps people belong anywhere. Um, I know the the company had some some challenges last year with hosts who um, you know were potentially discriminating against people who were trying to stay in their homes. Um, obviously, this is a, a very diverse market, um, as as are some of the other ones you work in. So, what what has the company done to to try to combat uh, you know issues like that with with hosts and guests? Sure. So. Um, I'm African-American and worked for the Chicago Urban League uh, before I was an elected official, and so civil rights is very important to me. And so when the whole Airbnb while black issue happened, I was really excited the company took it very seriously. So there was a 90-day review period. We um, we brought in Laura Murphy from the ACLU. Um, Eric Holder was brought in on contract. Um, And there was a whole sort of like root and branch review of the platform and how the platform operates. I think 
you know, one of the first issues for Airbnb is trust, right? Like, how do I, I have to feel comfortable about letting someone into my home, about sharing my home, about... And so there was a lot of things that were built up in the company around making sure that people had a trust level. And, and that bumped into making sure that everyone had an opportunity to belong anywhere. So, so there are a couple of things that came out of that. One is that there was a change in the terms of service where our hosts have to affirm that they will not engage in discriminatory practices uh, moving forward. We are also monitoring hosts and sort of rejection rates and what's happening there to see if there are patterns and trends. Um, there was a special unit set up within our customer service uh, department, customer experience, to handle issues where people feel like they were racially discriminated against. So we didn't have that unit, that group of people around before. Uh, the company also, um, unlike a lot of other Silicon Valley companies, has set goals for hiring um, and contracting with underrepresented minorities, which is really important given the lack of diversity uh, in San Francisco. Um, and so those, I think, are some really important steps. And um, I think we'll continue to iterate to see how things work and to go back and see how we can make them better. One other thing I should mention, too, is that we are more we are encouraging more of our hosts to use the instant book function, which if you've been on our platform, is a little lightning bolt. Mm-hmm. And that person, basically, if you have the money and you're ready to go, they, t- they accept you without sort of going back and forth and, and negotiating. And so we're encouraging more of our hosts to go to the instant book function, um, which would help reduce incidents of discrimination. Uh, Airbnb headquartered out in California, but obviously offices here uh, across the country. Um, how much of a role do you see a national company like yours playing in the local tech and innovation scene, um, if any? Um, I think it's really important that you know, in our work with local policymakers, I think one of the arguments around creating a framework to allow Airbnb and short-term rentals to occur um, is that cities can't afford to, to look like they're shutting the door on innovation. And by making it difficult for, for companies like Airbnb um, to operate, um, you're sending a signal to entrepreneurs, to Silicon Valley, um, that, hey, you know, we don't want new ideas. We don't want new energy. And so when the next Facebook or Uber or what have you pops up, that's why that person might move to San Francisco or Boston or someplace else because they don't feel like this is a place that values innovation. And I, it, it's an argument that, I mean, it's not like the top argument that we would use, but it's, it's, it's something that's important. I think it was something that played out in Chicago, for example, Last year when we were working on getting an ordinance passed there, Chicago was very interested in getting more um, innovation and more tech companies located there. That's a real important value for the mayor uh, and something that we leveraged. Boston is still mad about Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> moving to San Francisco. Uh, I think that's something that the city is concerned about there as well, given the number of universities. And I think it's something that, that's an issue here in D.C. as well. Well, Will Burns, uh, Airbnb's Mid-Atlantic Public Policy Director, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Uh, We will continue to keep an eye on uh, where this regulation goes going forward and, and how Airbnb continues to grow. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That about wraps it up for this episode of the Beat Podcast. A couple of reminders. First, Tech Madness Voting is open, so get on our website, dcno.com. Uh, there's a post up there that has the bracket, really cool platform called Votion that we're using this year. Pretty seamless voting process that, that is really easy to navigate. You can make all your picks 
and you know it really relies on on you going on there and voting to see who moves on to the next round. So voting's open for the next week or so. Get on there, cast your ballots. The other reminder, as always, sign up for our daily newsletter, also called The Beat. Go to dcno.com, sign up on our homepage. But otherwise, we are going to catch you next week. And thanks for listening.